You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Well, as I have been uh, introduced, my name is Craig Turnbull, and uh, I get to be a part of the staff down in Oakville, out in Oakville, back in Oakville, that way towards Oakville, whatever that direction is. Uh, And I have been there for about 12 years, uh, but also, uh, importantly, for your sake, have been a part of seeing your church uh, go through many seasons of joy and difficulty Uh, seasons of triumph, seasons of pain, and then, of course, all of us going together through this interesting, that's a good word for it, interesting COVID season. Uh, I'm super thankful to be here today. Uh, I want to encourage you from God's Word. So if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, why don't you turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to go today. And let me just let the cat out of the bag, as it were, and tell you the whole point of the message here today as I begin. The whole point is this. We're going to look at the kind of people who follow Jesus. We're going to look at the kind of people who follow Jesus. And let me just spill the beans. Uh, Here it is. Until you realize who you actually are, you will never really truly follow Jesus. The kind of people who follow Jesus are needy people. The kind of people who follow Jesus are sick people. So I want to dive into our text. Let's uh, read in Matthew chapter 9. In fact, uh, well, actually, you know, there's nothing worse than diving in in the middle of a conversation. So let me back us up here uh, to verse 1 of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some of the people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And now our text. As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, and here's the whole point of the passage, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Lord, as we have just read, please now open our hearts to understand. Let your spirit be speaking to each one of us today to hear from you directly today. That you be glorified, that we find our joy and our hope and our peace and our delight in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the kind of people who follow Jesus are in the passage that we have in front of us here right now. And I'll say this again. Until you realize who you really and truly are, you will never really follow Jesus. The kind of people that follow Jesus are sick people. Okay, let's, let's unpack this and get into it. And if, if you're a note taker, let me give you point number one. Point number one in our outline is this, the life of Matthew, the life of Matthew. So what I wanna do is walk slower through that passage we have from verse nine on and dig a little bit deeper, okay? So verse nine starts and it says, and as Jesus passed on from there, there, where's there? Well, that's Capernaum by the sea. Capernaum by the sea. Now, I uh, came across this very, very fancy map slide, which I hope will help you understand. Uh, that's Capernaum by the sea. If you need help placing it with Jerusalem, it's about 80 miles away from Jerusalem, or about 6,000 miles, uh, if you speak that language, from here today. Uh, and what's interesting, the text tells us, is that he's passing on from there. He's leaving it. He's on his way out of town. He's done with town, except that he's not done with town. He saw a man, the text tells us, called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. Now that warrants clarification. That's a tax booth. Now this is, this is ancient Israel that we're talking about, right? Remember, it has been conquered by the Romans. It has been held by force. And Israel is not a happily occupied Roman province. No, in fact, it is a backwards, nowheresville kind of province in the middle of the Roman Empire. It is hostily occupied. It is hot. It is dusty. It is angry about the Gentile filth that is occupying their land. But it is a Roman province. And under Roman rule, you get taxed. If you have lands, you get taxed. If you have kids, you get taxed. If you transport goods from province to province or even from city to city, you get taxed. If you're breathing, it doesn't even matter if you're a Roman citizen in the Roman Empire. If you're breathing, you get taxed. If you buy gas, it's 10 cents a liter, 13% HST. No, wait, that's not here. That's here. That's not there. But seriously, we think we get taxed. These guys got taxed like crazy. And remember, this is subsistence level people. One outfit, one room house, one goat, one lamb kind of people. What little they had was taken away from them. But that's not all. To make matters worse, if you're Jewish in the Roman Empire, you also pay a tax to the temple for its upkeep and its maintenance every time you visit, which could be five to 10 times a year if you're really devout. 
And you'll keep paying this tax long after the temple and any hope of its restoration has been taken down and dismantled by the Romans who are just sick of the insurrections and they want it all done. If you're Jewish, you're going to pay taxes to Rome and to Jerusalem. But that's not all. To make matters worse, the guy who collects the taxes buys the office. Can you see the problem, how that could be? This uh, is a first century pyramid scheme. I'll put this on the screen for you here. First century pyramid scheme, okay? So how this would work is in Rome, a prefect would be asked, would you like to tax this region? And so the prefect, let's just call his name Maximus Scamicus, Maximus Scamicus says, yeah, absolutely, I'll buy it. It will cost you 100,000 denarii. So he pays the money. Except Maximus Scamicus is a fat cat. He just sits in Rome. He takes the money as it comes into him. So what he does is he goes out and hires a bunch of other guys, some local officials who are going to go uh, buy the taxes or raise the taxes. And, and, and they're going to do this. This is, this is uh, Zacchaeus, if you remember the story. Uh, he's the local guy, the little guy. Uh, he's got people working for him. But Zacchaeus and others like him, they're not wanting to go out and sit on the dusty road themselves. They're going to hire a bunch of little guys as well. And so they hire some local officials and they bring the money in. And that's who Matthew is right there. One of those little local guys. Rome gets the money. Rome gets the revenue. And it doesn't care how it gets it. Who cares if it gets it from a people who are just scratching to get by? They should be glad they're under the Roman rule. Now, this last guy, Matthew, he has got an opportunity and he's got a burden at the same time. He's got a burden because he has to repay the cost of the office. Uh, people thought it was about a thousand denarii. Uh, but he's also got an opportunity. He's got a burden, but he's got an opportunity. He's got an opportunity because this position that he now holds gives him the opportunity to skim off the top. You know what I'm saying? He can kind of take a little bit extra. Do you see how this would go? You know, I've got, I've got four goats, and I'm bringing them into Capernaum. Matthew sits there and says, okay, that will be uh, one denarius, five shekels, please. The next day you come back, I've got one goat, and I'm taking him to Capernaum. Okay, that will be uh, one denarius, six shekels, please. Oh, ha, ha, ha. And it goes up, and it goes up. And he comes back, and he goes, okay, I've got, I've got one more goat, and I'm taking it to Capernaum. Okay, uh, one more goat, Capernaum, but I also noticed that today you did not properly put on the hand sanitizer and put on the face mask. Guess what today's cost is going to be? Four denarius. That's a scam, right? How is this even allowed? He's doing it to people who can't read. They can't understand. Plus, very likely he's hired two guys next to him. Two guys that he's hired out with swords and spears, and they say, you have to pay that money. Or guess what? You're not coming into Capernaum. And, and don't bother telling the official in the town, because <laughs> he gets a discount on his goats. It's a scam. It's a first century mafia taking advantage of illiterate subsistence people. That's the job of a tax collector. That's the job Matthew had. And that's what got him so 
despised, despised by the people. You can imagine him in the marketplace after the job is done. Hey, hey, watch your back, man. Watch your back, Matthew. Stealing from people when they can't even feed their kids, taking their last dimes, touching Gentile coins all day long and disqualifying himself from ever going into the temple, working every single day of the week, even the Sabbath day, working for Gentile occupiers, unclean dirt bags. That's the job Matthew had. Verse nine, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Before we get to the good stuff, there's one more thing that's not immediately obvious. The verb there for passed on means to go away. That's important. Why is that important? Well, because Jesus is not coming into town. He's leaving town. And in the ancient Palestine, you didn't get taxed leaving the town. You got taxed walking into town. He doesn't have to have this conversation. He wants this conversation. Jesus chooses to cross the street to talk to Matthew. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Two words, follow me. And he did. Despised. Unclean. Sinner. Scammer, thief, Sabbath breaker, tax collector, traitor to his own people. Sitting every day of the week outside the city, taking poor people's money. You can imagine maybe it started off well. The allure of the money, the promises of having riches beyond your imagining. Uh, having more, just a little bit more than your friends, not having to worry about breaking your back in the field or worry where the next paycheck would come from or the next meal would come from, the possibility of just maybe, just maybe having more than one article of clothing or maybe having more than one room or more than one goat. And day after day, you sit despised by the people as you take from the poor and the needy, and the shame begins to build, and the weight upon your conscience begins to grow, and the possibility of a career change evaporates before you because you realize that you'll forever be known as that tax collector, that guy you stole from poor people. You'll always be despised, you'll always be hated, and you can't get back, and you can't get out. You're trapped. And then one day you see a man looking at you, looking into you across the road. It's like he knows you, he knows everything about you, from the arrogance and the fear and the anxiety and the shame. He sees the trouble that you're in. He sees how lost you are. He knows you're hated and he knows you hate yourself. And he crosses to you and he says, follow me. And the door opens and you take it. Matthew knows who he really is and he knows he needs Jesus. And until we realize who we really are, 
we will never truly follow Jesus. Luke, in his story, he adds this to his piece. He says, in leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving everything, says Luke. He left behind the money. He left behind the future. He left behind the security. But leaving, he also leaves the shame, the guilt, the thought that life that he's living right now is going absolutely nowhere. He stands up and he walks away from all of it and he goes to Jesus. And for the first time in his life, he lives. Some people think he's, oh, he's just getting up to stretch his legs. He's just investigating maybe. But that's not what happened. How do I know this? Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house... Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The very next scene we have is a house, and it's Matthew's house. How do I know this? Well, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke add that detail for us. Do you see the fruit that's immediately evident in this man's life? He's left everything. He opens all that he has to Jesus. Luke tells us that he makes a great feast for Jesus, and he invites others to hear from Jesus also. Now, what's happened? What's happened in this man's life? Matthew has found a greater treasure than anything he could sit on the side of the road for and collect for. He's found life in Jesus. By the way, by the way, why is Matthew's home filled with tax collectors and we're told sinners? Because these are the only friends the man has. He's a social outcast. He's religiously unclean. He's despised by Jew and Gentile alike. He's a nobody. And his friends are nobodies too. Unclean, despised. And it's like Jesus says, perfect. I'd love to come have dinner there. A tax collector does not need to be told that they need help. A tax collector does not need to be told that, no, actually, you're not all right. No, actually, you're not a model citizen. A tax collector knows he's got problems. He knows he needs help. He knows all about brokenness. A room filled with these people, a meal shared with these people is just perfect for Jesus. Brokenness. You know, you're in a series right now living faithfully in this broken world that we're talking about right now? Do you want to do that? You won't be able to do that unless you realize that in the broken world that you live in, you're also broken too. There's a song that I like by Casting Crowns. It's funny how in quarantines and in COVID season, you just listen to more music and you find new hobbies and things like that. Uh, uh, I, I listen to this one song by Casting Crowns. I like it, and uh, it reminds me of this passage. I'll pull the lyrics up for you here. You can see it there. Why, he, he starts with, why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of a line. With all the other not quites, with all the never get it rights. Look at this. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. I need him. I can't do this life without him. The selfishness that is in me 
is affecting my home. It affects my wife. It affects my kids. It affects my lack of desire for the right things in this life. It affects my overwhelming desire for the wrong things in this life. The constant pursuit of wanting more and pursuing the pleasure and the delight of other people and never feeling like I quite ever measure up. I'm broken and I'm sick. And the voice comes through Matthew's stories for us also. I know who you are. Follow me. Follow me. Not a system, not a rule book, not a set of regulations, not a, not a pattern. Follow me. Christianity is about following Jesus Christ. And this Jesus who will sacrifice his life for my life, with his brokenness, give me life. Just a few chapters from the story that we're reading right now, he will walk obediently to a Roman cross and hang upon a cross for my sake and for your sake. Jesus takes my shame and my sin that I might have forgiveness and life and hope and peace in him. Jesus needs nothing from me. What kind of a weakling God would he be if he needed something from me? God created the stars with his voice. Do you think he needs me to do anything for him? No. Doesn't need me to do anything. Just wants my brokenness, my willingness to say, I cannot do this life. I am desperate for Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, Jesus is not for perfect people. Jesus is for broken people. If you're here perfect today, this is not going to work for you. Jesus is for broken people who know they need him. And until you realize who you really are, you'll never truly follow Jesus. And by the way, this is true for you wherever you are today in Christ. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. He calls you now to see your brokenness and to come and to follow him, to leave behind the old life, to leave behind the old self-sufficiency, to place faith in him, and by believing in him, have life and hope and joy. Take him as the center of your life today for those of you who've never followed him. But this is true for those of us who have followed him. This is a powerful truth, a guiding principle of our lives to cling to brokenness as we follow Jesus Christ, to bring my heart before the Lord continually in my brokenness, to repent of my self-sufficiency and my self-righteousness, to rebuke the enemy's accusations against my, me. I cannot do this. I trust in Jesus for this. It's for all of us here. Well, this, this perfect dinner for Jesus, is filled by people who know that they need him, is ruined by people who are the exact opposite. Look at verse 11. And the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? By the way, am I the only one who reads the Gospels and continually asks myself the question, how do the Pharisees get into places like this? They're like the Debbie Downers of the first century. Everything's great. Jesus is doing miracles, and then boom, here come the Pharisees. Wah, wah, wah. 
The Pharisees, these are the, you know this, right? They're the religious elite. They're big on memorizing the Bible, low on living it. Low on loving God who wrote it. Pharisees begin to make up new rules and regulations and begin to tie people to those rules and regulations, chain them to it, chain them to, wait for it, religion. And we understand, don't we, that the question that they're asking is not really a question. It's not really a general, honest inquiry by by a sincere seeking heart, right? We get the difference. This is not, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? No, it's not that. It's, this, is, this is valley girl, apple device, artisan, coffee holding, condescension, right? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> That's what the tone is. Meanwhile, back at the party, the needle scratches the record, and Jesus turns, hearing, we're told, which, by the way, I don't think this is some supernatural hearing divine moment here. There are ways of speaking to a person where you want the person to hear, but you're kind of keeping it quiet. That's what's going on here. However it happens, Jesus hears. And then he, what he responds with is pure gold. Look at verse 12. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Sick people go to doctors, not people who think they're healthy. You got a story like that where you, where you, where you go to the doctor feeling fine and maybe, maybe something comes up in the blood work or the test or something like that. I mean, that happens for sure. That happens. But most of the time, most of the time we see a doctor, we go because we're not feeling well. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you are sick and you know you're sick, you go to the doctor. If you don't know you're sick, you don't go to the doctor. You don't even leave the couch. Here's the deeper meaning. Until you realize who you really are, you will never truly follow Jesus. The kind of people who follow Jesus are sick people, and they know it. Sick people. And all God's people said, (coughs) (laughs) and this takes us to a second point. We've seen point number one, the life of Matthew. Now I want to show you the second point. It's this. Point number two, the death of religion. The death of religion. Jesus again in verse 13. I'll just wait for you to write that down. The death of religion. Okay, ready? Ready? Uh, Look at Jesus' words because they're the center of what we want to say today. Go and learn, verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now this is key, this is key. Because the first half of that verse is a quote. Did you notice that? You see the little quotey marks above the words in your Bible? It may even tell you that that quote is from Hosea chapter six. Quickly, Hosea was written before Rome, way before Rome, 
was even a speck in its mom's eyes. The northern kingdom, that's where Jesus is. The northern kingdom, where the old lines were drawn, uh, Capernaum, where it is right now. The north, before its fall, was the absolute worst part of ancient Israel. It had all the bad kings, major unfaithfulness of the people, and Hosea's message, when he writes this, Hosea's message is all about the mercy and the love of God to an unfaithful people who practice righteousness on the outside, but in their hearts they've left the Lord. Interesting quote that Jesus pulls from. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy means more to me, says the Lord, than all of your external displays of religion. Go to the temple every day if you want. Sacrifice a thousand sheep if you want. But it won't do anything if you don't love me, says the Lord. External displays of religion will not find you life, but they'll lead you to destruction. But the external displays continue. This is treating God like he's a vending machine. Let's put the coin in and get what I want from beneath it. Let's do what he says so I can get what I want. Let's do what he says so I can get what I want. Got bad crops this year? Let's sacrifice a goat so I can have good crops next year. Have a bad year? Let's sacrifice a child to get what I want from this deity. Got bad weather? Let's throw more money in the temple. No kids yet? Well, let's say a prayer in this direction. Let's do what he says to get what I want. That's religion in a nutshell. But God calls to us again and again through the scriptures. It's never been about religion. I desire your mercy, not your sacrifice. I want your heart, not your empty hymn singing. I want your heart, not your hollow offerings. I want your heart, not your works of service. I want you to recognize your need for me and not believe in your false abilities. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. What Jesus does here is two things, and both of them are astounding. He, first, he completely eviscerates, and I've been waiting all sermon long to say that word. He eviscerates, he guts, he guts the Pharisees' religion. All at the same time, the second thing he does is he affirms everything the Old Testament teaches. The Old Testament is not teaching if you do what I say, then you'll get what you want. Look at how religion operates. Religion versus real Christianity. I have this slide for you. Religion follows a program. Follows a program while real Christianity follows a person, Jesus Christ. Religion embraces the appearance of your own capability. If you do this and do this, then you'll appear capable. Whereas real Christianity embraces your neediness in Jesus Christ. Religion pursues self-improvement plans. Real Christianity pursues brokenness and inability apart from Jesus to do anything in this life. Religion, here's one, is strengthened by looking at others. Uh-huh, I'm better than. Real Christianity is strengthened by looking only at one person, Jesus Religion is, thrives in finding fault in others, whereas Christianity thrives in finding fault with self before Jesus. 
Religion postures towards out, through outward display. Real Christianity, often not seen, produces fruit from an inward neediness of Jesus Christ. And here's the most important thing. Religion leads to death. Christianity leads to life, leads to Jesus. It's always been about the heart, says Jesus. But my heart is lost and broken, and it constantly deceives me. Maybe even now. It's constantly telling me that I'm okay. My hearts are fine. Maybe it does the comparison game. Maybe it compares me with others, but it's constantly trying to deceive me and trick me and say, you know what, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. You may be saying even right now, but come on, I mean, those Pharisees, ah, that's crazy. Those Pharisees, uh, they're terrible, aren't they? Man, I'm not like those guys. But do you see any of that in you? Let me put it this way. Here's a, here's a little drawing of the, the two kind of people we see in this. It's not a drawing, it's a picture of two houses, Okay. See, on one side, the left-hand side is like this broken-down house. It's like, this is the heart of, this is Matthew, man, totally realizes, man, this guy has been so evil and so wicked and crumbling and awful, and he needed Jesus and he ran to Jesus. But on the right-hand side, these are the Pharisees, how they see themselves. Whoa, look at me, I'm amazing. And you're, maybe you're sitting there saying, oh, come on, I mean, like, I'm, 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 not, I'm neither of those guys, really. Like, uh, okay, I'm not standing there saying, I'm amazing, I'm righteous, I'm perfect. But I'm also not a train wreck. I'm not Matthew. I'm, I'm more like a, the, the thing in the middle here. This is, I'm more like that log house. Yeah, that's like me. You know, I've got some rough edges, but, you know, for the most, that's, that's more like me. But here's the truth from Scripture. All of us have sinned. All of us, even in Christ Jesus, carry around a heart of rebellion that we face constantly every single day. There's no one who's righteous. There's no one, not one. All of us have gone astray. Jesus' words to us are a message for the heart who will hear. This one, this one is the one who will follow me. The one who will rejoice at being found by me. The one who is recognizing their brokenness and their neediness in my life. Jesus says to us even today, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's the kind of people who follow Jesus. And that's the kind of people who find the life and who find the forgiveness and who find the hope and who find the endurance and who find the joy. All of that found in following him and only him. Because the truth is, until you realize who you really are and your need for him, listen, your daily need for him, you will never truly follow Jesus. May the Lord be doing that in our hearts even today. May the Lord be leading us back to places of neediness and brokenness and clinging to him and his sufficiency and his grace that is sufficient for us. Listen, loved ones, in the midst of this season that you find yourself in, whatever that looks like, what the Lord Jesus, I guarantee you, is not looking for you to do is to demonstrate how capable and confident you are and how flawless you are. Parents, what your children don't need from you the most is to say, I know how to succeed. What your parents need to see from what your kids need to see from you is that you're broken and who you go to to find help.
Let's be people like this in this time especially of recognizing our frailty, our brokenness, our sin, and then clinging to him and his strength that is sufficient for us. Let me pray for us now. Lord, we thank you that this event some 2,000 years ago on a dusty road in Palestine is a help for our heart even today. I'm thankful, Lord, that the story of Matthew does not include how awesome he was, but talks much about how broken and weak he was. I'm thankful, Lord, that the call to him is the call to us today as well. No other steps required. Get up and follow him. Take your brokenness. Take your weakness. Take your sinfulness. Take your frailty. Take the trash of this week. Get up and follow him. We need you now, Lord. Maybe some realizing that more than ever. Can't do it. So many problems, so many weaknesses, so much sin, can't do it. Lord, would we be a people who place zero trust in ourselves and every last bit of trust in you and your grace that is sufficient for us and your power that's made perfect in our weakness. And we thank you, God, that as we bring these these failings and these sins to you, that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for us. Forgiven by the work of a God who loved us so much. Make us a people like this, Lord, please. You're not looking for our competency. You're looking for our brokenness. Pray, God, even as we finish our time together, that you would lead our hearts in song, in rejoicing, and even declaring our need again. Please do that now. Please receive our worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.